Foxy Foxy. Oh, hey, ask me that question again about what's Megan Fox's superpower. What do you think is Megan Fox's superpower? You know what I think her superpower is, is the ability to look sexy in a way that other characters can easily undermine her. But she has that good, sexy, like, go ahead, I dare you face. And the the problem is, I think, is that she doesn't get to use that superpower often. Most scripts just undermine her and say, yeah, look sexy and then don't do anything worthwhile. Whereas in a movie like Jennifer's Body, where you talked about how she gets more stuff to do. She gets a lot of great stuff to do. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's her superpower. And so that makes me think of uh, like Aquaman. (laughs) Like poor Aquaman. He's got a superpower that he doesn't get to use very often. But That's true. I mean, Jason Momoa is another pretty face that has more to give, but we really fixate on his physicality. You know, it's not just women who get objectified. Uh, I think, you know, particularly in the Marvel era, we're seeing a lot of men uh, have to work towards impossible standards of male beauty to play Superman and I mean, Batman. I, and I don't know. I'm with Star-Lord on the fact that Thor is not that good looking. <laughs> Come on. What? Thor is not that good looking. Come on. I'm not are, intimidated by him at all. Are you on crack? <laughs> That's the, uh, the Infinity War joke, right? That, that <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't comedic hyper-masculinity competing over who's buffer and sexier. I mean, as as evidenced by my references, I'm actually kind of more of a DC person. Oh! <laughs> um, release the Shira cut. <laughs> yeah, they need to release the Shira cut of Swamp Thing because the new show's not doing it for oh. me. Right. Um, but yeah, let's let's get on with the fox. Let's do it. I'm Shira, and I'm a fan of romantic comedies. Wait, what podcast is this, Shira, who is a fan of romantic comedies? Oh, wait. Oh, God. I forgot to even announce what show this is. Well, if you're listening to us for the first time, this is Necromancer. Necromancer. What kind of movies do you like? Oh, uh, I like horror movies. And also, my name is Brett. Hey, Brett. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, And today we continue our theme of Megan Fox. You know, I think you are so right. I think that it's not just that Megan Fox is devastatingly beautiful. She has this kind of harsh beauty that's, you know, it it goes perfect with an alpha personality. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it. It's like, you know, it's it's like she gives that satisfying look, the same kind of ballparky satisfying look that Clint Eastwood gives, where he's like squinting at you and he stares you down and he sort of says, "Come on, I dare you. I dare you to underestimate me. Do you feel lucky, punk?" Like, right. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting to me. Like in Friends with Kids, I think out of all the characters, I mean, everybody in that movie spends the entire time insulting each other. <laughs> I think that she is the fairest to everyone. Yeah. Like she never says a mean word about um, Julie ever. Um, meanwhile, everybody is incredibly condescending to her. And then John Hamm says absolutely awful things later. And Megan Fox, Stone Cold Fox, she, I found it kind of insulting that he didn't try to comfort her at all. I mean, of course, Julie. (laughs) Yeah, he stands up for Julie, but Julie's more fragile than, uh, MJ. Uh, MJ is like, oh, it's just another fucking day for me getting undermined and insulted by people who underestimate me. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, I really do also think that um, we were talking last episode about how it would be great to see uh, Megan Fox in a multiplicity scenario where she's battling clones or ro- robot versions of herself. And you you had a kind of being John Malkovich twist on your pitch in the last episode. I still would love to see a movie where it's Megan Fox versus a bunch of Megan Foxes. Yeah, I mean, we have the technology. (laughs) We do have the technology, clearly. Um, But yeah, I I really think that that she's underestimated. Yeah, when when you were talking, I really thought of, um, there's this particular romance writer that I really like named Scarlett Peckham. And in one of her series, she states in the foreword that Um, she is writing alpha heroines. You know, you Mm -hmm. have a lot of movies, you have a lot of stories with alpha heroes, you know, people that express, you know, kind of this traditional masculine male dominance. They're, they're alpha holes, you know, um, you're, you're familiar. (laughs) Um, but you don't get to see a, a woman act with that kind of power. And I feel like Megan Fox was born to do it. Yeah. I think you'll like what I do in my remix because I give her a lot more agency. No pun intended. That's good because I don't give her any. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Um, No, Nobody tell Megan Fox. So for my, oh, so why, why did you pick friends with Ben or friends with benefits? I'm going to say that all throughout the episode. (laughs) Why did you pick friends with kids? I think that the reason I chose this movie was because, first of all, I didn't remember it that well. And I think that if I did remember it more clearly, um, (laughs) I don't know that I would have chosen it. But I remember watching this movie and thinking that uh, Megan Fox came off as being layered and cool and interesting. And I liked her character. And I liked that, you know even if the movie isn't fair to her, she comes out of it looking pretty dignified and pretty admirable. But I didn't realize it's because everybody else in this movie is a piece of shit. Um, I mean, except for Ed Burns, except for Ed Burns, um, who's so hot. Um, But uh, I think we, we talked about this a little bit outside of the podcast, but when I first saw this movie and you, I think mentioned the same thing, I wasn't at the life stage where I had peers who were going through this. I I did not have friends with kids. Uh, And I also wasn't at a stage of life where I wanted children myself. And now I'm in my 30s and that's changing. So I'm able to meet this film as more of a contemporary and now that I'm mature enough to understand this movie, I like it even less. Yeah. I was willing to give it a break before, but now that I understand, it makes me angry. I looked up my very cringeworthy review of this from when I saw it in theaters, and I had a, a movie blog, like every other person has a movie blog. Um, and in it, I, I rated movies from A to F, you know, Entertainment Weekly style. And I gave this movie a B. And I was like, how did I Very ever... generous. Very generous. And then I was like, how did I ever give this movie a B? So I actually read my review. And first of all, ugh, yuck. But you just also, didn't understand it either, right? But No, but also, m- most of my review was me complaining about the movie. <laughs> and I always hate it. Like, I like talk about Entertainment Weekly, Owen uh, Gleiberman, or whoever was one of their main movie reviewers. I would always complain to my mom, like, oh... All he did was say negative things about this movie. He gave it such a good grade. I was that person. (laughs) I was the person I didn't like. So yeah, I went back and I was like, I I hope I gave this movie a D or lower. And I was like, B? Oh my God. (laughs) It's also very embarrassing for me because I, I, you know, I think that if you've been a, a regular listener of this podcast, you know how excited I get about female creators, both on the horror and the romance side. I mean, Halloween was a collaboration between John Carpenter and his partner, which shamefully I can't 
say off the top of my tongue. Uh, Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill, but he's always had a female collaborator. And then, you know, Legally Blonde, um, 10 Things I Hate About You. Like, I, I've, I've definitely tried to make it a point to include female creators because I, I want to be uh, diverse in the, in the way that I show this genre. Um, but I was so disappointed with this movie. Jennifer Westfeld, former partner of John Hamm. Why do your friends suck so much? Yeah. <laughs> They're that... so mean to each other. And I just, I'm not interested in people being cruel to each other in a romance movie, unless they're going to clearly get pooped on as the romance movie demands there. You usually have room for one or two cruel characters in a romance mm -hmm. movie. Not everyone. <laughs> yeah. This, um, this movie, as I go into it, I'm ma I'm basically just going to hit the plot beats and I'm not going to go into much of the comedy because I think, I think you're right. People can do insult comedy and they can do friends who rag on each other and like clerks and stuff like that. Like you can do that. But if, if the comedy isn't working in service of the story, then it just completely falls flat. So none of the jokes in this movie really landed for me. So all I have is the bare bones structure for you. But if you're gonna be bittersweet, if you're going to include that, you need to you need to balance it with sweetness. For instance, right. I I went through and I watched um, Golden Girls for the first time because I never watched it growing up. And Golden Girls, the humor in it, they're really good at balancing biting humor where the girls will read each other and then they'll balance it out with some sweetness and you know particularly you've got Betty White's character Rose who's supposed to be the nice one but every once in a while she slides a, a dig in there and it's just perfectly deployed so you you've got to have that balance where you know people can both cut up with each other and have fun and nobody in this movie is having fun even when they say they're having fun are we having fun yet? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, we'll get into it. Tell us the story. Uh, so the story is Jason, an advertising executive. Uh, I refuse to call him Jace, by the way. Jace. Oof. And Ugh. Julie. Um, Jason Jaden. I think those were space ghosts, little sidekicks. Um, Jace, uh, Jason is the advertising exec. Julie is a charitable investment advisor. And they're both very long-term best friends who are now in their mid-30s, and they live in the same building in Manhattan, like right above each other. Uh, and they're perfect for each other. However, they're not romantically involved. They are, however, very close friends with two childless married couples. We have Alex and Leslie, who are Chris O'Dowd and... Uh, Maya Rudolph and they uh, made Chris O'Dowd a bad person and he's so cute yeah they really I think he was really gross with Megan Fox they he was gross all over they it really the movie made me struggle to see what was keeping the marriage together to begin with um and, and their then, age gap not even that much yeah and then we have Ben and Missy who are played by the beautiful John Hamm and the beautiful Kristen Wiig. Uh, and they're super duper good looking and they are really good at sex. I also feel like this movie is really judgmental against couples that have good sexual chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, so, yeah, because Ben and Missy get shit on the most in this movie. But... Uh, during the next four years, after both of the other couples have children and their marriages are suffering, uh, uh, we get into kind of the premise of the movie, which is following a chaotic birthday party for Jason at Alex and Leslie's place in Brooklyn, which is crazy because of kids. 
And it's uh, so far away. I don't understand right. how people in New York are like, oh, no, cab rides. <laughs> it's too far to get to Brooklyn from Queens to Isboro to Bed-Stuy. Can't be that hard for an advertising executive and a charitable investment ad- advisor who live in a very nice building together downtown. Can't be that hard. So after we see the absolute chaos and destruction that children can wreak upon their parents, uh, we, we get Jason and Julie discussing how it would be better to have children first. You get it out of the way, uh, and then you get to spend more time with the person that you really want to be with, and then that way it's like, it, it's better. They, they and worked it out. stupid kids don't get in the way. Yeah. And uh, plus, there's also the factor that time is running out, right? We got that biological clock ticking. Um, the only thing I resonated with. <laughs> so although... That's, that shit's real. Right. <laughs> Although uh, their friends predict disaster, Jason and Julie sort of adjust to this this predicament much better than they had thought. So we and they this- hate that they're right. not supportive at all. Right? They are they are actively rooting against Jason and Julie the entire way. Um, the worst friends ever. And so then we get this weird cut where we cut to like however many years later and then Jason and Julie have a kid and they're doing really well. So like when when the other couples get invited over for a birthday party or a celebration or whatever, it's like Jason and Julie have everything under complete control. They've got the hors d'oeuvres out. They've got the presents out. They've got the uh, And it's super cool. So... Jason and Julie are not together romantically, which means they start dating other people. Jason starts dating actress Mary Jane, who is Megan Fox, and (laughs) Julie starts um, dating divorced father Kurt, who is like the who's like your dream man. I know. He's charming. He's first of all. I just. I like Adam Scott. I think Adam Scott yeah. is cute. And I think when you play up Adam Scott's nerdy nerdiness, particularly how they do it in um, Parks and Recreation, yeah. it's a very good use of his quirkiness as an actor. And even when he's but, the jerk, like in um, the the long engagement or whatever. The leap year, leap year. He was a yeah, good, he's a he likeable was a, jerk. Yeah, he was a good, like, shallow jerk in Leap Year as the guy, as the Bellamy, as the guy you don't want. Right. Um, Which is why, why is he the guy that you do want? Here's the problem. So this movie falls into the trope of what we like to call in romance, friends to lovers. Uh, A lot more people tend to prefer enemies to lovers because there's a lot more sexual tension baked into that. Um, but the problem for me with friends to lovers is you have to answer the question, why now? Uh, and for me with this movie, the question is why ever? Yeah, I completely agree with you. There's it's, this is a sitcom premise. This isn't uh, like this movie kind of wants to be more along the lines of like, I think a Woody Allen type movie. But in a Woody Allen type movie, you would get all these different vignettes and you'd get little like Hannah Woody Allen has more fun when he's doing miserable things like Hannah. Hannah's getting cheated on constantly throughout Hannah and her sisters, but it's still kind of goofy and fun at the same time. You see the story unfold from different perspectives and different narrators and stuff. But in this movie, we just have that one like we're not going to see Ben and Missy and uh, Alex and, and Leslie again for a huge chunk of the movie. And that's, I think, what the chemistry is missing. That's what the movie is suffering from. Because I don't need to see Jason and Julie. I want to see the chemistry. I want to see the other characters fleshed out more. I want to see how each couple Do you think feels. it should have been an ensemble movie? Right. That's kind of what it looks like it's being pitched as. Friends. Here's six friends. And they all decide to have kids. Two of them are married. 
You know, two two couples are married and one couple is not. I wonder who's going to be the more successful one. Like, that's a sitcom premise. It's not <laughs> the way they treat it in this movie is more of a sitcom premise. It's it's yeah. Why now? Because the clock is ticking. We got 90 minutes to fill people. <laughs> Right, right. No, and it's yeah, the the answers to why now are not that compelling. No. So, um we we have this uh, it's a large gap, I feel like. It feels like a large gap, but eventually we get to this scene where they go to Vermont. So we have all this build up in this 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 we we just have all these characters interacting in a very short period of time with a big time jump um, going oh, on in there. Can I can I note one thing just because it was so upsetting for me? Yeah. I don't know why this triggered me, but so there's a small moment before Julie and Jason start dating other people where Julie thinks that Jason is starting to fall for her. Oh yeah, uh, and then she ends up crying to Maya Rudolph later about how that's not what's happening and blah blah blah. But when she looks at him adoringly and gives him the look, literally all he's done is portion out their Chinese food for both of them and rearrange their wine glasses. Like we need to raise the bar on what's acceptable romantic behavior. For instance, my partner, if I haven't eaten, he will make me something every night because he cares about whether or not I'm feeding myself nutrients, even when I don't, but he actually makes it. He doesn't just portion out takeout like some schlub. (laughs) Yeah. And I, Sonia makes you food too. Sonia does make me food. Um yeah, I I agree that that the the reasons just aren't there. Such the, a low bar. This this entire movie is very superficial. Whenever she brings up her feelings to him, he basically just comments on either her body or another woman's body. And that's yes. that's what he's looking for. And he makes it very clear to her that that's what he's looking for. Yeah, it's so gross, like, especially when this is all prior to Vermont, she shows him her body and he says three to five weeks away. And it's like, oh, my God, I wanted to punch him right there. Ed Burns, Kurt, would have never said that. Kurt would have looked at her and told her, I think you're beautiful right now. And I don't care if you've done your Kegels or whatever. I want to have sex with you when you're comfortable and you feel sexy. That's hot. That's, that's like a good guy move, not three to five weeks. Oh, is your pussy tight now? It's so immature. Kurt is a real chip. He's a chip off the old block. (laughs) Uh, Always checking in. Yeah. uh, Consent is sexy. Exactly. so we go to Vermont, and Vermont is a complete disaster, right? Like, uh, Chris O'Dowd is more concerned with hitting the slopes, and same with John Hamm. They just want to get out there, and there's just chaos. There's a dinner that turns out to be very awkward because Ben, who is uh, pretty drunk, starts saying that their arrangement is never going to last in the long term, and he humiliates his own wife, right? Wife, Missy? I- I think they're not married, but they they have kids together. Again, this movie is very judgmental towards couples with sexual chemistry who may have kids and not get married. So I feel very targeted and attacked right now. Yeah. And so this is the part where Jason defends his decision to have a child with Julie, basically saying, like, she's the love of my life. And but he's not in love with her. And yeah, she's the one for me. But also, I mean, Megan Fox has got a banging body so i'm gonna definitely be hitting that so insulting to mj too because okay to put this into perspective megan fox in this movie she plays an actress a successful broadway actress she's at the top of her career she decides to go out with this dickhead and his friends um and and she accepts his situation with julie she is honest and upfront about her boundaries she doesn't want to have kids she doesn't want that life 
she knows exactly who she is and what she wants, and she's willing to put up boundaries where it's important and be confrontational, where everybody else, all these stupid friends like to be very passive aggressive and condescending. None of them are ever direct. And then when they are, they're directly cruel like John Hamm. Yeah, the whole scene just it just made me cringe. Like I just, it made me think of girls like uh, being I don't, I, I don't know. I just I I'm not the type of person where I'm fascinated by cinematic depictions of people being awkwardly cruel to each other. And I think that, you know, maybe that's something that Jennifer Westfeld is into or Lena Dunham is into, but I just don't like it. Did you ever see the family stone? I have watched it. And Rachel McAdams is so mean to Sarah Jessica Parker. There's a dinner scene in that movie where it it kind of is like curb your enthusiasm-esque where it's like, Sarah Jessica Parker is accidentally homophobic. Yeah, it's just vile. And I I haven't seen, I don't remember anything about that movie other than it left a very bad taste in my mouth. But that's what this movie reminds me of. Is like, I get what you're going for. But I just want to like spit it out. Um, so yeah, we we do another cut after Vermont, which is Ben and, and Missy are separating, um, and then we get this very weird birthday scene. Like there, there seems to be a lot of hype around birthdays. A lot of these events take place around birthdays. Birthdays are very important to these people. Um, at Julie's birthday. Well, yeah, because they're all narcissists. Right. At Julie's birthday dinner, uh, Jason shows up and is surprised to find that he's the only one there. Why would that be? And he's like, well, actually, this is good because I have something to tell you. And she's like, no, I have something to tell you. And so Julie tells him that Kurt wants her to meet his children. And she's just now realizing that he has children and she's going to have to meet them and that she doesn't want to meet them because she wants to be with her own family who she thinks is Jason and their son, Joe. So she's like, I want to be with you. I don't want to be with Kurt. I'm, I'm ready to dump Kurt. You're my baby daddy. Let's hook up. Let's tie the knot. And then Jason's like, Whoa, I just proposed to Mary Jane. And ask her to move in with me or he doesn't propose right he just asked her to he move, just asked in, her to move in step, right it's a big step and so julie is heartbroken uh she leaves the restaurant she moves out of manhattan to brooklyn and she's distancing herself from jason and jason's like i don't like you anymore isn't he kind of mean to her for a bit because he's like you took my son away or no uh, no no i mean he he resents the fact that she decides to distance herself from him right and so then in a very not landing or what was what is what what is a what was the hugh grant one uh, oh, Notting Hill. Notting Hill. I, <laughs> I, he said Knott's Landing. That's a theme park, right? It's it's something. I don't know. It's I thought it was like a TV show or like a, I don't know, like a Green Acres fake place or something. Um, but um, yeah, so Jason, Jason decides that he, where, where were we? <laughs> Wait, so Jason has, basically what happens is Jason has that dinner with Mary Jane where he cross-talks over to the family with kids and Mary Jane's oh, like, right. So, yes, yeah, so Jason is just now realizing that Mary Jane never wants to have kids. Even she though said he that, said like, a million time. times. If from the first <laughs> moment he meets her, she says, I could never take care of another living thing. Right. And she puts up boundaries when it comes to, like, I don't want to go over to your apartment when right. you're when you have the baby. Right. I don't, I don't want that. The baby. I don't want to hold the baby. I could break the baby. I feel uncomfortable around the baby. I, I totally very clear. Right. I, I, I relate to that. So, um, so yeah. So now Jason is sort of not angry at her, but kind of like he feels that he can't go to her because of the way things ended. So he tells Ben 
who all of a sudden is now a good guy because he says, I'm sorry. No, he's just, he's ostracized from the group, but right, but, now but Jason will still have drinks to him. Right. He kind of has got his act together, maybe because he's John Hamm. Um, so Jason tells Ben that he does have feelings for Julie. So now, <laughs> <What about> now? <laughs> right. So now we get this again, we're, we're in, we're in that rom-com territory of like, okay, you've already wound the rubber band. I'm ready for it to snap. I'm ready for the big romantic scene. Please do not keep drawing it out. So what does the movie do? It draws it, it out. It draws it out. <laughs> so now we go to, um, to Julie's next birthday. Oh my God. And then Jason is dropping off their son. And while he does it, the son is like, daddy, stay, daddy, stay. And he's like, well, I do have a present. And so she's, Julie's like, all right, you can stay for the present. She opens the present and it's a scrapbook that he got here one year ago before the big fight. And the scrapbook is filled with her and him and their son. And it's basically saying, I love you. We're a family. I should have known all along. So then Julie freaks out right they put the son to bed and then jason's like i want to stay over and she's like you can't do this to our son that's fucked up and it's like also how convenient that this issue should resolve itself right when the kid is old enough to start asking questions right so at this point i i'm i'm willing to buy that (laughs) um so then she kicks jason out jason he goes to a red light he stops at the red light the music swells the montage plays the the teary-eyed close-up is there and then the light turns green the honking the moment the rubber band is being wound up go go for your love yeah and then he does the u-turn he drives over and he says you know what i'm not no doesn't mean no i'm taking (laughs) no for a yes i I don't believe in boundaries (laughs) right he does the equivalent of the 1950s version when all of those rom-coms end with someone caveman carrying their 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 mate into their arms i I wish i could argue with you but already for this podcast we've seen multiple rom-coms where that happens So then she's like, well, I can't be someone who doesn't find me attractive. And he's like, oh, yeah, if that's the only thing keeping us apart, let's fuck. And then the movie ends happy ending because they they agreed to be into each other's shallow looks. (laughs) Well, but that's the thing is that was the only that was apparently the only ingredient that was missing was that he didn't find her sexually attractive. And it's like, come on. I Okay, I thought that it was cute that they included the scene with Chris O'Dell and Maya Rudolph kissing towards the end because, you know, just because you have kids doesn't mean that romance suddenly dies. I think that when you've been with someone a long time and, you know, both of us are in pretty long relationships at this point, so we have some perspective on this. I mean, I've been with my partner for basically a decade. All you know, right, it's Kira, just it's like not it, a competition. But like it's like look, it's peaks and valleys. And if you yeah. expect that there is going to be this sustained heart stopping honeymoon period where you're always gonna be absolutely crazy romantic, you know, that's just not the way that life goes. Like when you're with someone for a long time, it's a journey, but that doesn't mean that rom- romance just suddenly perishes as soon as you have kids. I think that's just an absurd premise. And I mean, I think the movie knows that that's an absurd premise and they, they want to show us that you can still have love and romance in, in that stage of life, but they don't do a good enough job of doing that for me. I think the connection here is, I feel like the the movie to me feels like it, it takes a Larry David-esque approach to storytelling, which is we're just going to make an outline and then we'll get these funny, these funny actors. Like, cause all of, all of the six main actors are comedic. Oh, they're great. They, they have other roles where they're hilarious. Right. So I feel like the vibe was, let's just hit these plot beats. Let's workshop the scene a few times. Let's use our improv skills. Let's get down to the meat of the scenario. 
but they only show the lows. They only show them ribbing on each other and not complimenting each other. They only show the bad parts so that, like I said, the, the comedy doesn't work in service of the story. A story like Hot Rod or Wally, the comedy is silly and goofy and makes you think that this this character who is underestimated could never achieve the impossible. And yet Hot Rod and Wally both achieve the impossible. And when they do it, it feels so good. When these characters achieve the impossible, which is have a kid before marriage to work out all that gunk so that they can just love each other without fighting over I don't know, whatever the, whatever the main mission of the main characters is of this movie, when they finally achieve it at the end, I'm not, celebrating like hot rod or celebrating like Wally. it wasn't a happy ending to me you know what i would have liked to see i would have liked to see again i'm referencing golden girls but i would have liked to see a golden girls type of relationship like what dorothy and stanley have where dorothy and stanley were together and they share children together but they have this kind of constant on and off dynamic which essentially evolves into them peacefully realizing that they like each other more and they're more attracted to each other when they're not together. Like one of these great lines from Dorothy is, I'll never get tired of slamming the door in your face to Mm -hmm. Stanley. So like, I, I like that on off again dynamic where the characters are at peace with the idea that, Hey, this is a dynamic where we're always going to be flipping back and forth and that's okay. I also like, again, with Dorothy and Stanley, you get a lot more input from Sophia, Dorothy's mom, because if I were writing this movie, I would have the mom talking about Jason and how much Jason sucks nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> women don't spend enough time with each other in this movie either. I I've said it before. I think that the indication of a strong female character is how she interacts with and helps other women. And the women in this movie do barely anything to help each other. And when they do do something, it's always got this little passive aggressive thing behind it. Like when yeah. Julie's like, I washed your thongs to Megan Fox or when Maya Rudolph is like, I've got a hookup for you, but he's in prison. I mean, ultimately Maya Rudolph is the strongest female character because she does Julia solid by hooking her up with Ed Burns, but none of the other pair of two real children and one man child. Exactly. She's an actually strong female character, but nobody helps Missy. No. Um, Yeah. You never get a scene where the girls go to Missy and say, hey, how are you? What can we do to help? Um, But yeah, I would have liked to see more female camaraderie. Yeah. Um, I know that we've mentioned that uh, you've mentioned in the past that you don't like toxic positivity. I don't. I will say this about friends with kids, which is like a mean thing to say, but also it's kind of like the best way to say it, which is, you know, that meme of like, hey, mom, can we get blank? And the blank is Oreos. And the mom says, no, son, we, we have, have blank Oreos at home. at home. And then it, cut, it it does the little meme thing and it says blank at home. And then the Oreos at home that she's referring to are Hydrox. Yeah. And it's like, oh, mom, or Hydrox and Oreos are not the same thing. I feel like this is kind of the same thing, which is, when I go to a movie called Friends with Kids and it has three couples and the couples are the ensemble that we have, I thought it was going to be a group of friends and they all have kids. Instead, the movie is really about the friends who are Two Jason and friends who decide to have one child. And that's like a bait and switch that I don't think was maybe intentional, but like I think I it people, was intentional. It just doesn't work. When people complain that this movie had bad marketing, maybe that's what they mean. Because it's like, yeah, I wanted to go see this other movie. <laughs> but instead, yes. I got this movie. So that's how I feel. I don't know if you want to have any last words before we... I only have the question. <laughs> I have. I only have the question. Who would you kill? 
Well, we've done it before. I think it's been a while on my behalf, but I'm going to have to kill Ed Burns. <gasps> no, but he's so beautiful and, and kind and, that, and masculine and useful. And that what we in the Necromancer podcast biz call a mercy kill because holy shit, he did not deserve that awkward dinner in Vermont. He, sh- I would have put him out of his misery. Get him out of there, man. He was so nice. And I'm usually not like, I'm usually not like an Ed Burns fan. Like I'm not the kind of guy who like goes in rooting for Ed Burns. Like, oh, he's a handsome man. But like in this movie, he was just perfect. He was a prince charming. And I instantly fell in love with him and felt so bad that he was in this saw-like torture chamber. There's redemption, redemption for Kurt and MJ in my remix. All right. I should have known. Uh, how about you? Who are you going to kill? Um, I want to kill all of the friends. I, I, that's <laughs> what I figured. Um, I want to kill them all, and I satisfy that prompt. Um, but, you know, strangely enough, the person I want to kill most of all is actually the person I left alive in my remix, which is Jason. Because oh, he was yeah. so insulting. And, it, and just, like, the... The contempt and the narcissism of a person that would be disenchanted with Megan Fox because oh she goes on juice cleanses and she wears a face mask. It's like no shit. Being Megan Fox is a lot of upkeep. Yeah. yeah she she poops, she does everything like everybody else. Like let her be human. I don't know. I might have to snopes that later. Does Megan Fox poop? She definitely poops, but she doesn't want anybody to know or see it. No matter how many people would pay her million, millions of dollars. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, that kind of uh, investigator. I don't, I don't do brown (laughs) journalism. Um. Yeah, so I I think you should go first because so this is a horror comedy. I'll, this will yeah. hopefully this will make you laugh where friends with kids didn't. Oh, mine's a horror comedy too. Oh yeah, I think we just wanted something so much funnier than what yeah. we got. <laughs> I think so. Uh, so I called mine friends with kills. All right, friends with kills. So Julie and Jason, they think that their friends have stopped hanging out with them because they started families and became boring. Uh, But the truth is much scarier. Ben, Missy, Leslie, and Alex are secretly Russian agents transplanted to America the American style. Uh, They're all killers. And when Julie and Jason aren't around, they just spend time talking about ops and confirmed and unconfirmed kills. That's why friends with kills. So, you know, I mean, that's just something that soldiers do is just spend the whole time talking about their records, um, you know, how well they did in ops. So when they're talking about killing and dead pools, they are also totally obsessed with Julie and Jason because, you know, Julie and Jason are their reference for American culture. And so they're like, you know, they are straightforward, no bullshit Russians. You know, if you like someone, you take two shots of vodka and you meet behind the banya. You know, it's not this whole like, oh, let's be friends for 15 years and then realize we're in love with each other. So they're just, they're fascinated with Julie and Jason. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one day uh, Jason is walking in the park when he bumps into MJ. Uh, But what Jason doesn't know, I still refuse to call him Jace ever Mm -hmm. um, is that MJ is a CIA agent. I think Megan Fox would make an awesome CIA agent character because you need to be able to play dumb and you need to be a cipher that never gives anything away. It's perfect for her. We need to get Megan Fox in the lens of Luke Besson because this sounds a lot like oh, Anna. And Anna oh, was a would... pretty badass movie. I'm not going to lie. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that I I mean, if Megan Fox called Michael Bay Hitler, then I'm sure Luke Besson isn't a picnic to work with either. Yeah. I, I'm sure I, he's I, I'm sure he's also comparable to a dictator. I'm you could almost hear my certain. hesitation as I was saying it. <laughs> because to me, Luke Besson is 20 years ago Luke Besson when it was celebrate Luke Besson and now not so much me too Luke Besson, but <laughs> Yeah, he's had kind of a rocky history, but I mean, if anybody can stand up to him, it's Megan Fox. I think so. Uh, So, yeah, she's a CIA agent connected with the Russian opposition party, uh, and she has intel on the four friends. So MJ decides to make Julie and Jason government assets by revealing the truth. Their friends are complete assholes. Um, <laughs> and she she reveals that that these these Russian spies are completely obsessed with the idea of whether or not Julie and Jason are going to fuck. And MJ plays a recording of a bug from the apartment, and it's just Missy and Ben and Alex and uh Leslie just dogging on Julie and Jason and, you know, switching between Russian and English and just being like, yeah, 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 yeah. I I assume that's how uh, Russian people laugh. Uh, (laughs) Actually, I don't think Russian people are capable of laughing. No. Um, But uh, so now Julie and Jason, they're pissed. They're like, of course, of course, we're going, of course, we're going to work for Uncle Sam and do our duty for our country and kill our friends who we secretly, secretly hate at the same time. Uh, Obvious choice. Um, And then, um, yeah, they're like, we didn't realize our friends were such assholes. And then MJ says, all of you are condescending assholes. I would like Megan Fox in this role to be just the truth giver. The person who's like, all of you suck. All of you are terrible. I don't want anything to do with you. This is just an op. Yeah, Uh, put her in some aviators. Give her a toothpick to chew on. Pop the collar. Oh, it was. It would be great. I, I think that she would look great in a pantsuit. Yeah. Uh, so MJ says, we're going to fuck with them. Tell them that you decided to have kids together, but stay friends. Because this is just going to, I mean, these Russians, they're like, I mean, what What the hell? Like, I, I have three kids back in Russia. Like, what? These dumb Americans and their dumb American ideas. So the friend group freaks out. Uh, and they now in this version, instead of Julie and Jason being completely ignorant to all the awful things that they say about them, now they get to hear everything because it's through MJ's bugs. So this makes the choice of killing them pretty easy. Um, and then MJ has Jason introduce her to the friend group as his girlfriend. And then of course, telling him in private that I hate you. I would never date you. You're disgusting, which he is. Uh, and then Kurt gets introduced as Julie's boyfriend. So the friends are so distracted by their contempt for Julie and Jason that they don't notice Kurt and MJ gathering intel. I think that there would definitely be some more killing in this movie. Like I'd like to see um, all of the Russian spies doing ops, doing assassinations and poisonings all while they're like talking to each other over their, their spy phones and being like, can you believe that party at Julie and Jason's? Can you believe that they had everything all together? And it's like, shut up. No, I'm trying to, I'm trying to move your head. I need to hit that guy. Yeah. That sounds (laughs) very Archer. And I am a huge fan of Archer. (laughs) So I like it them to have kind of an Archer, an Archer dynamic to the way that they're doing things. But the real violence happens at this damn ski trip. So we get to the ski trip and Kurt and MJ have it all planned out. They're going to they're going to execute the Russian spies uh, and they're going to get their intel and they're going to help the opposition because, you know, if there's one thing the CIA loves doing, it's destabilizing governments. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything, of course, goes to hell and not like planned. 
uh, Alex, who is hot for MJ, decides to go into her bag to, you know, fiddle with her private things. But then he finds her spy gear instead. Oh, what a mistake. Uh-oh. Uh, so he realizes their cover is totally blown. So he gets a plan going with Ben where he's going to have Ben pretend to be uh, drunk and get into a rant like he does in the original movie, but this time it has a purpose other than being needlessly cruel. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then while he's doing that, Leslie and Missy search Kurt and MJ's room. But of course, everything goes wrong again. We end up with a shootout in the cabin. Everyone is shooting at each other, trying to stab each other while they're asking Jason and Julie, when will you guys ever fucking get together for real? Uh, and then Jason and Julie ask, were you guys ever going to tell us you were Russian spies? Um, and then finally, it's just Ben, Ju- Jason, and Julie. We'll say everybody's covered in blood and real roughed up. Uh, maybe there's like a broken pipe somewhere, uh, you know, just real mayhem. Uh, and all three of them have guns, uh, but no one is sure how many bullets are left, Dirty Harry style. Uh, and then Ben says, <laughs> just answer me one thing. Have you really never wanted to fuck each other? And then Jason says, come on, man. It's 2021. Men and women can just be friends. And he shoots Ben. Uh, and Ben dies. And then Julie says, that was actually pretty hot. And then they fuck right there because they just survived an insane gunfight. The end. Yeah, speed. The intense moment brings them together. Exactly. But also at the point where it no longer matters at all and no one is invested in this romance anymore. They're actually like, I am into you. Yeah, but you got to like... You got to like for the first time they ever actually have a romantic kiss. You got to cut to black right before to <laughs> to cinematically depict the frustration that those Russians must have felt never knowing if they actually hooked up. Never got to see it. Yeah. Uh but yeah, that's my twisted comedy version. <laughs> of this comedy, this so-called comedy. I think my version's funnier. Um, I do like your version me. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, your version is like the Archer Tarantino spoofy version of a of a movie like um like Duplicity. Like it's 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 like a a cool fresh take on this on this standard plot, but it's got like enough stuff in it that's whoa. Like, this would be fun as an action movie. Like, it's got your typical rom-com stuff, but you don't usually see it as an action movie. I see, I've see i seen a lot of movies lately try to do it, but... Yeah, no, it's hard to stick the landing. <laughs> yeah. um, as I described in, my, in the last podcast, I, for some reason, thought Jennifer's Body was an alien movie in my head. Right. I, I think I, that's because you watched Species recently. Yeah, um... So I Mandela affected my way into this alternate universe where Jennifer's body is about an alien. So when I first watched Friends with Kids and had to make a horror version of it, I thought I should have demonic worship and and hell babies and stuff. Oh, that would be so much fun. Oh, Friends with (laughs) Satan's kids. (laughs) Um, Friends with the Antichrist. Um, I just called it hell child for right now, but the, the overall scenario is again, this is going to be a horror comedy. So, so much like yours, much like Tucker and Dale, very spoofy, very funny. I love Tucker and Dale. I love Alan Tudyk. Oh, perfect. In everything he's in. Perfect. Um, so the idea is that there's going to be three couples and just for the sake of putting Megan Fox in oh, this it's actually role, an ensemble this time. Yes. Well, mm, I don't know. Uh, my, my movie is very messy as we, as we go, you'll probably see. Um, I'm going to put Adam Scott with Megan Fox. It's just the main couple. There's no Julie that I know of. We can have a love triangle forced in there somewhere like, uh, like in, in uh arthur where it's like yeah he's supposed to marry this other lady but she's pretty much not really in the movie she's off doing the the real romances between 
Liza Minnelli and Arthur. Um, so the, all three couples decide to have a pact where they are going to blood sacrifice their child to Satan. <laughs> wow. So this is like the rest of the folks in Rosemary's baby. Right. So then once they have their meeting where all four are all three women say, hey, it's official. They all whip out their, their pregnancy tests and go like, ah, we're going to have babies. That, that night, we sacrificed to Satan. Right. But like in The Conjuring. Um, that night the devil visits Adam Scott and Megan Fox and says, Hey, I'm going to make your baby the antichrist. So much like when God visited Mary and said, Hey, I'm going to make that baby inside you. Jesus. Satan comes in and says, Hey, that baby that happens. That... Yeah. They, the, God and Satan can do, they do it all the time. I'll take your word for it. They do it all the time. It's like, it's like a uh, Zeus. Zeus is making babies <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> and so Satan's like, so you can't sacrifice your kid to me because that's going to be my kid and he's going to take over Earth. So now Adam Scott and Megan Fox, who were in this for the demonic powers, now have to take care of Satan's hell child. While the other two couples, presumably the quote unquote one year or nine months later or whatever, presumably the other two couples have sacrificed their child. And in return, they gain like, demonic superpowers so all through the movie we're gonna have gimmicks where like you know it's like oh is your plate not warm enough and he touches it (laughs) you know just stupid stuff like that like little nicky yeah just like little nicky i don't know if i want to compare my movie to little nicky (laughs) popeye's chicken is fucking awesome um so yeah, just here's here's the sort of skits that we're going to go through. One, the grandparents stop by and they they love that they have a grandkid to take care of, right? So Adam Scott and Megan Fox go off for a, for a, a, a double, triple date or whatever with the other couple. That's where we get the demonic power aspects. And they're like, oh, our kid is driving us nuts because he's the fucking Antichrist. Uh, when they come back and the grandparents are done babysitting, it's like they're covered in flames and mud and blood. And it's like, here, take this child. We never want to see him again. Uh, any nannies that they have staying over at the house mysteriously end up dead. Uh-oh. So, like, one of them is hanging from the mobile in the kid's crib. Or there's, like... That's tricky. There's, like, a doll or, like, a teddy bear or something that's got the, the nanny's head on it. And then the nanny's dead body has the doll's or teddy bear's head on it. So, you know, like, gimmicky different things like that. where it's like Real messed up shit. Ra- raising a hell child is hard work. Uh, we have when he's in preschool, he's got teachers, but like every school he goes to, it's like the the um, the twelve play or how many plays? He are should there? totally go to Catholic school. Catholic school oh, is yeah. exactly <laughs> where the Antichrist belongs. Right. Um, so maybe he does go to like t- t- how many plagues were there in the Bible? I don't know, but he, uh, he does ten, just, the I ten think. plagues of of whatever. So like one one school ends up getting flooded with cockroaches. One school ends up all the food is bad and makes all the kids sick. You know, one school ends up getting flooded, all that stuff. Um, And then maybe he gets invited over to one of his friends, like, you know, at at the new school, he gets invited to a birthday party because that's the nice thing to do, invite the new kid. But then like, you know, he's the hell child. So he blows out the kid's candles. It's like, no, that's supposed to be the birthday kid's job. He breaks all the presents. He's just a hell child. Um, I hope that people say that about him. He's just a hell child. Right. And so then we get to the end. And I don't, I can't remember exactly what I wrote here. Um, but the the kid is basically, the, the kid tells his parents that he actually, he confides in them and says, actually, I'm really sad because, Aww, because I don't have any friends and I don't have any real parents. Like I'm supposed to kill you when I take over the world and Satan's my real dad. And he like, when the kid becomes a teenager, he, he becomes conflicted, right? He's getting hit Aww. with puberty. He's getting hit with all of these weird emotions. And so then we have this. Is the Antichrist actually a good boy? Yeah. So then we have this moment where it's tender and maybe like Christian moms can be out. Maybe like they go to some place like a church, right? 
and something's going to happen at the church and the kid's got to go there. Maybe he's got to get baptized or whatever. But there's an army of like angry Christian moms on one side and an army of punk kids on the other. And they're about to have this big battle and basically start the apocalypse, the, the, the revelations, the book of revelations. And so that's when the kid says to his parents, hey, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So Adam Scott, Aww. Megan Fox, and the kid team up and they defeat Satan. and then. We cut to 30 years later or 20 years later, and it is complete hell on earth. And the demon child is your typical Satan child. He's like, put more bodies in the body pit. Up the temperature <laughs> in here. You know, he's like, ah, oh, he's like a he's a character of what Satan is. And then we cut to What happened? We cut to Adam Scott and Megan Fox, and they're like, We're proud of you, honey. Well, they were. They were Satan worshippers. I mean, right. this is kind so of now, exactly where they wanted things to go. Right. So now, like, instead of them getting powers, the son got all the powers. So it's like, yeah, they didn't get what they wanted, but their kid did. And isn't that really what we all want for our kids to have what we didn't have? What I would really like is in this <laughs> epilogue for there to be a family portrait. Like, like yeah, he's yeah. looking at a picture of... The three of them all wearing jeans or, you know, one of those those right. cheesy family photos and they're yeah, all like hugging the, each other in a train. And then you pan up best. from. Yeah. And then you pan up from the picture and see this godforsaken wasteland. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's and, the, exactly. and the Danny Elfman uh, discordant choir music comes up, you know, like yeah, when you, Harvey you're Keitel seeing is the devil. Comes uh, out. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's friends with hell childs. I I like your, I like your version. I also think your version is funnier to me uh, than friends with kids. Right. And it goes for dark humor. You know what I mean? You can have dark humor without just being vile and mean. Well, you know how much I like dark humor. You've mentioned it multiple times that in my rom-com remakes of yeah. horror movies, I I have no don't problem body count. I, I have no problem leaving the murders in. Yeah. I, you don't I, nerf I, the violence, you just up the romance. Yeah, why I mean, why not? Because you know, like all of that tension can make you horny. It's a perfect right. device. I'm totally on board with you. all right well let's wrap things up you guys can find us on twitter facebook and instagram as well as email us your thoughts feedback and questions at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com please like us and rate us subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts you may wonder whether or not we actually read and look into these things but i do because i'm very vain and i need the validation uh and yeah now let's move on to love bites well, I pulled a Shira this week, and I Ooh. decided that I would recommend a movie that is related to the topic. So, Friends with Kids is a movie about two people who probably shouldn't have a kid deciding to have a kid for weird reasons, right? And it's a movie that has Kristen Wiig in it, and Kristen Wiig is not one of the two people who are the main characters. Well, there's another movie that has two main characters who team up together to have a kid and they are they are odd job wacky SNL type sketch characters who should not be having kids and Tell also it has Kristen Wiig in it as the as one of the ladies and she is not involved with the couple. This movie is called The Brother Solomon. It is Haven't you have you recommended this in the past? I don't think so, but if I you have, may have men- you may have mentioned it. I've probably mentioned it, yes, because it's written by Will Forte. It's directed by Bob Odenkirk. It's got a great cast. It's got some great cameos. And the entire premise is solid from beginning to end. The first scene sets up the fact that these are two SNL characters. They are oddballs. They have no idea how to interact with women. And then their father goes into a coma. And the doctor tells him, usually if someone in a coma has something to look forward to, like a grandkid, then they will pull out of the coma. So these two doof fall SNL characters decide 
that they got to get a woman pregnant. After a series of failed attempts, they hire Kristen Wiig as their surrogate mother and hilarity ensues. It is completely funny from beginning to end. I think this is a, a like an underappreciated cult classic uh, hero of it's like a bromance too, because the two brothers are so in love with each other because for Aww. reasons like, but the it's a brotherly love kind of movie and it's Will Arnett and Will Forte as the brothers. I mean, if I haven't sold you already, I don't know what else to say. I like all of the things that you've said. Yeah. So brother Solomon is a very good mismatched people having babies that also has Kristen Wiggins. How about you? What's your love bite? So you gave us the brothers, and I'm going to come in with the sisters. Uh, Now, just because I shat on this movie doesn't mean I hate women. Uh, I also watched another female-directed, female-written movie uh, this weekend that I absolutely adored and had such a fun time with. So I would like to recommend the movie Mamma Mia, which oh. has star of I our previous episode of the Traveling Pants. No, you no, made the but... brothers, sisters, uh, very. You made a very good segue with brothers and sisters. I and did, but no, we're talking about we're talking about the spiritual sisterhood of women who are actually interested in. Um, I don't know, being supportive of each other and making each other feel good and celebrating having multiple partners and being cool about that. Um, Mama Mia is, it's an ABBA musical, but really I would characterize this movie as an hour and 50 minutes of women having fun. And who doesn't want to do that? Yeah, I I really have no desire to see the movie. But if I was ever in a scenario where I I was going to watch it, like ABBA. ABBA is a very enjoyable band. They have good music and the cast is pretty good. So I, yeah, I, I believe you. Yeah, It's got a really fun setup. Meryl Streep and Amanda Seyfried are mother and daughter. They live together on this beautiful Greek island. And Amanda Seyfried, who has been raised by her mother, Gilmore Girls style. Also, criminal misuse of Kelly Bishop in this movie. You get Emily freaking Gilmore in your movie, and she's not going to dress anybody down. That makes me angry, too. But anyways, Mm -hmm. so Meryl Streep, Amanda Seyfried, mother and daughter. Amanda Seyfried doesn't know who her father is, so she looks in her mother's diary, and she decides to invite these three men to her wedding to find out which one of them is her father. Of course, without telling Meryl Streep, and hijinks ensue, and Meryl Streep is not prepared to see these men from years ago back in her life again. And here's something that I like about this movie where I think that it, to me, is more appealing than, say, Friends with Kids. There's a scene where Meryl Streep looks in the mirror and she says, "Ugh, I'm a slut. And her friends, which include Christine Baranski, who's also hilarious, she says, you know who you sound like? Your mother. And they make fun of her for negging herself while also making her feel better. So it's not right. toxic positivity. These people are capable of being honest with each other and kind of, you know, nudging each other. But everybody's nice and having fun. That sounds like a good movie. It is. I, I gave it a four out of five. There you go. All right. Well, I guess that's all for today, folks. Smell you later.
Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities. <laughs>